If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Romans, chapter 1. We will read from verse 14, chapter 1, verse 14, to chapter, verses 14 through 17. So we'll just read that all together. Romans chapter 1, verses 14 through 17. Verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as is written, the righteous shall live by faith. This is the word of God. Will you pray with me? Oh God, um, we are at your mercy. Uh, we are, we live only by, by grace alone. Father, we, what we do not know this morning, God, about your righteousness and about how to receive that righteousness by faith. Teach us. God, what we have not, give us. Father, what we are not, kindly make us look like your son. For your son's sake's name. Amen. You be seated. I promise we will get out of chapter one at some point. Uh, in uh, in this millennia, <laughs> but um, this is our second part of verse seventeen, the text that changed the world. Uh, one thing we know is that everyone puts their faith in something. Some people put their faith in scientific theories, while others put their faith in family, in politics, in careers, or in some celebrity. People are all searching for something to believe in. But for me and many of you here, that's Jesus. But sadly, many people think all religion are all the same. But I would argue this morning that Christianity is different from the rest. Other religions give you a list of things to do and, and not do. Some religions call them laws or pillars. But this things that in the hopes that in the doing all this and following all these rules and laws and pillars will get them to heaven. But this is not the way of the gospel. Praise God. Let me review a couple of things. A couple of weeks ago, we explored on what it means to be righteous in God's sight, how to, what it means to be favored by God, to be right with God in verse 17a. He told us three, we told you three things a couple of weeks ago. First, the righteousness of God is not earned, it's given through an exchange. There was an exchange between, between us and his son Jesus. Second, it cannot be bought, it's paid for. It was a costly payment by the Son of God. And lastly, it's not temporary, it is eternal. That you are favored by God eternally. That God cannot love you, cannot look at you any differently than He looks at His own Son, Jesus Christ. 
This morning we will look at the second half of verse 17 where Paul emphasizes the necessity of faith in order to receive the righteousness of God. He writes that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it's written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Three times in one verse, Paul used the word faith, which is very rare. But it, it actually helps us draw our attention to what the apostle is really stressing, that this righteousness is from God, and it can only be received exclusively by faith in him. So given the, this importance, what we can say about faith or saving faith, we're, we're going to examine this word faith. In doing so, I want us to set before you six things about faith that will help you, my hope and prayer, that will help you understand what it really means by what Paul says, from faith for faith. The gospel of God is through faith. Let's explore first the meaning of faith. First thing Paul says is revealed from faith for faith. From faith for faith is an expression found in some versions such as the King James Version, the New American Standard, or all the Holman, uh, the CSB, and, and they use this word um, in the King James where they use the word if uh, here, from faith to faith, the New American Standard from faith to faith, and from the the HTSB, from faith to faith. But the ESV uses the wording from faith for faith. Instead, the meaning of the phrase becomes really more evident in the NIV by faith from first to last. But perhaps the most transparent rendering of the verse, um, for me at least, comes from the New Living Translation from start to finish by faith. I really like that one. Because uh, it talks about our faith has a starting point and our faith has a finishing point. You know, there's a slide here somewhere uh, on the next slide. So, so the New Living Translation will tell you the good news tells us how that God makes us right in his sight. And this is accomplished from start to finish by faith. But to fully understand what from faith to for faith means, we must consider the phrase in context. So let's consider what faith means. The word faith is the Greek word pistis. Say pistis with me. Okay, that's the word. For faith, it means a trust in or a commitment to or a reliance upon. That's what it means. Those are synonymous statements that describe what true saving faith is. It's a trust in, a commitment to, and a reliance on. And, but a full understanding of faith recognizes that it involves the mind, the heart, and the will. With the mind, a person must know the essential core truths of the gospel. Then one must then be persuaded in their heart of its truthfulness. And then it must be followed with this conviction of one's need for God's righteousness. That's the will. And this decisive commitment to follow Christ is not simply just say, oh, I, I believe. There, there's this truth that we have to believe in our hearts, in our, in our mind first. And then we have to be persuaded in our hearts that what Jesus says is the way to heaven is the way to heaven. This is what it means to be saved by faith. A person must put all her trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, and no one else can make this decision for you. It's a personal commitment that only one can make. 
uh, last week in, in our in our life group, uh, you know, it would be great if we could actually transfer our faith to our kids. Wouldn't that be great? How awesome would that be? That they don't even have to believe in Jesus. We can just kind of transfer our faith to them. But yet the Bible says God has no grandchildren. God only has children. One must come to faith by themselves. And this is uh, one of those defining moments in the Christian life when one enters through the narrow gate. Uh, this is simply amazing because one moment we are outside of the kingdom of God and the, most, the next moment we are inside the kingdom of God. You know how awesome that is? By, by faith alone, one can come to Christ and is granted righteousness. So the moment that you come to faith in Christ... God has granted you righteousness. God has granted you approval. You are now right with God. Because the opposite of being, being not right with God is being at war with God. You look with me to Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Just, just real quick. Romans 5, 1. One of the greatest passages, I believe, in the book of Romans. He says, therefore, since we have been justified by what? Faith. We have peace with God. How do you, what happens in justification? You have peace with God. That's the result of being justified by faith. That you have now peace with God. You're no longer at war with God. True faith does not stay, sit still in one sin or sit back passively. Faith does not simply think about Jesus and the salvation he offers. Faith does not merely have this warm religious feelings. Faith comes from the Father. In John 6, 44, it's, it's, I, I'm so drawn to this verse because it, it not only talks to me about my, my inability to save myself or my own helplessness, but it tells me that this faith, this righteousness originates from God and God alone. In John 6, 44, it tells us no one can come you do not have the power, the ability, the smarts, the wisdom to come to, your, to Christ on your own. You must be drawn by the Father. He says here, unless the Father who sent me draws him. True faith actively responds to the Father's effectual call for salvation. The exact meaning of this phrase, from faith to faith, has been debated for centuries, with several likely explanations proposed, some understand it in relation to the origin of faith, from faith, from the faith of God who makes the offer of salvation to faith of men who receive it. So in simpler terms, salvation comes from God's faith or his faithfulness to our faith. This was called Bart's impression of the phrase that salvation is accomplished through God's faithfulness, which comes first and our faith in response to that. Others believe that Paul had this spreading of faith through evangelism in mind, from the faith of one believer to another. A third and widely accepted view is that from faith to faith speaks of a progressive, growing development of faith from one degree of faith to another. Another view is that he meant from day one of our journey of faith until the very last day, we, the righteous, the just, must live by faith. Whether we are brand new followers of Christ or seasoned, 
mature believers who have walked with the Lord for many years, you still must trust God from start to finish and to rely on the mighty power of the gospel. To change our, there's nothing else to change our lives and the lives that we encounter without the gospel. And I am convinced that this view is what Paul meant from faith for faith is, is it is faith from start to finish. In other words, the Christian life began by faith and will continue to live by faith. In fact, we will conclude our Christian journey by faith. The, this phrase from faith is addressing really saving faith. Then when he followed up by saying to faith, that is living daily by faith. This is walking by faith moment by moment to the end of the Christian life. This truth is important because faith is not merely repeating some scripted prayer, walking an aisle, raising one's hands, then assuming that one is automatically saved. It's more than that. Because if one fails to move forward and live by faith, that is the mark of one who has, who has really doesn't have true saving faith. And, and even if a person goes back to the world system and lives in sin in the same way they previously did, that's false faith. It's actually self-deception. True saving faith perseveres and continues day by day in the life of God. See, many people are so deceived in Matthew 7, 21, uh, one of the scariest passages in all, in all Scripture. People will say to me on the last day, Lord, Lord, did we not teach and prophesy in your name? Did we not do any of these wonderful things? And then Jesus would say to you, I never knew you. You and I were never right. I had never approved of you. Because true saving faith is more than that. And, and we will see that later on. That the true saving faith is an active faith. Paul then goes on to quote the prophet Habakkuk. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. See, when we look at the context of the book of Habakkuk, it shows us that although the enemies of God, the Babylonians, arrogantly followed their evil ways, verses 3 and 5 of chapter 2, the righteous will trust God and live by faith. So as a result, the righteous are spared by the virtue of their faith in God. You, you see, shortly before the Chaldeans or the Babylonians invaded over to Judah, the prophet wrote, Behold, his soul is puffed up, speaking of the prideful and self-reliant Babylonians, but it's not a pride within him, but the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, though judgment was coming, God wouldn't forsake those who put their trust in him. John Piper states, there is hope for those who will hold firm their trust in God when the calamity comes. You see, the crux of the gospel is the just shall live by faith. And when you and I understand this phrase, it will give you such peace and assurance in knowing that your salvation never depends on you. It only depends on Christ. Amen. Praise God. Amen. Right? Because if it depends on God alone, it will stay there. And this is a driving message in the book of Romans. It was 
also God's plan from the beginning that his people will be made right with God. Not through church attendance or legalism, but through faith only in Jesus and his payment for your sins and mine. That is the only way you and I could stay and live by faith. The only way. Then they talk about the object of faith. Now I want to go back to the beginning of the book of Romans. Turn your Bibles to verse 2 and 4 where he talks about the object of our faith. In verse 2 and 4, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was the descendant from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. See, Paul is telling us that faith by itself is incapable to save us. It is faith in what is written in the Bible must be exercised, specifically what it says about the person of Jesus Christ. Everyone has faith, right? Faith in the stars, faith in the light, faith in whatever faith you want to put on. But the only faith that really matters is who you put your faith in. And you only put your faith in the person and works of Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 10. And I want to walk you through this. Paul says, but what does it say? The word is near near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, here's the promise. You will be what? Saved. Right? And he says here, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and saves. Why do we leave baptism? We value baptism in the church. Because it's a time that you can confess. What? That Jesus Christ is Lord. Alright? That's why we do it. Why think we do evangelism? So they might be saved. So that they can also declare that Jesus Christ is what? Lord. Right? That's why we do it. The, the Greek word for confess is homologeo, which means to say the same thing or to agree. And the idea here is that a person's mouth must communicate the true conviction and attitude of his or her heart. And this passage reveals that a true Christian not only believes in Jesus, but he also believes that the one that he believes in is king. You know, there's such a, um, a false teaching that goes around in, 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 in evangelicalism where it says, you know what, you could come to Jesus as your Savior, but you kind of could wait like 20 years, 30 years, or, or 40 years before you could make him Lord. There's no such a thing. The moment you believe in Christ, you have to submit to that leadership. And that leadership is called the Lordship of Christ. 
Um, each year, um, 50,000 American uh, die of, of colon cancer. Um, colon cancer is treatable if detected early. Uh, colon cancer is known as a silent killer because uh, if not screened for, it will grow unnoticed, undetected, and by the time it is discovered, it is often too late to be cured. Like colon cancer, I'm convinced there's another slow, silent, growing malignancy within the church. The malignancy is particularly catastrophic, bringing with it ruinous consequences because it hollows out the gospel message and undercaps the Great Commission. And the malignancy to which I'm referring to is this slow and subtle rejection of the exclusivity of the gospel. Research, recent research concluded jointly by Ligonier and Lifeway and makes it clear this, uh, makes this clear. 45% of Americans think that there are many ways to get to heaven and 71% agree that an individual must contribute to his or her own effort for personal salvation. Ron Nash in his book titled, Is Jesus the Only Savior? He helpfully summarized pluralism and inclusivism and inclusivity in, in two questions. Is, is Jesus the only Savior? And most people believe in Jesus Christ to, say, to be saved. But pluralism answers both questions. No, Jesus Christ is not the only way. And inclusivism answers the first yes and the second no. But historic Christianity answers both yes. Because the Bible teaches is the eternal son of the living God who was born or born of a woman and became the son of David is the only rightful king over the earth. And he is, was the God-man, fully God, fully man. And the entire Bible clearly teaches that Jesus is the only Savior of the world. And faith in, in anything else, on anyone else, cannot and will not be, not be saved. In fact, this was Jesus' self-assessment when he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. Do you know how easy it is to share the gospel with someone? It's really easy. All you have to tell them is, he is the way. That's all you have to say. He's not the Mandalorian. <laughs> you know, there is not ending like that. Jesus says, I am the way to God. And that is the truth. And that will lead to life. And without me, none of you, none of your family members, none of your friends, none of your co-workers will ever come to the Father. Why do you think it is so imperative as a church that we become about the Great Commission, that we're about making disciples of all nations, about teaching them and baptizing them in the name of who? Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Why? Because the alternative sucks. You know what the alternative is? Hell forever. 
You know, people in hell today will confess before you. Jesus is the way. And that is the truth. And that is the life. And I did not believe it. I did not accept it by faith. I rejected it. Now I am in the predicament that I am because of it. Because you must come to Christ by faith. And it must be granted to you. It's not something you and I can do. In Acts 4.12, I want to emphasize even more. It says, and there is salvation in what? No one else. Say no one else. No one else. else. For there's no other name under heaven among men by which we must be saved. As a church, we hold firmly to the exclusivity of the gospel. It means that the only those who personally and consciously and explicitly and singularly confess Jesus Christ as Lord can possess eternal life. And faith in Jesus alone saves. And saving faith must be placed in Him alone. Faith in a church cannot give you, any of you a right standing before God. Faith in a religious ritual or good works cannot. They're all misplaced faith. And you must exercise faith exclusively in the person of Jesus as presented to us by the Word of God. And any faith in anything or anyone else leaves a person under God's wrath. And and because he must be the sole object of saving faith. Moreover, Paul addresses the necessity of faith in verse 16. Who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greeks? It is the word believes, pistuo, which is the verb form of the noun faith, pistis. So believe and faith comes from the same Greek word. So what we see here is the necessity of faith that is found in no one else or anything else except by faith in Jesus Christ. And there's no other way to have divine righteousness except by faith alone. Ephesians 2.8 For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. And it's not of your own doing. And I want to emphasize that again. This is not something that we can manufacture. This is something that is given to you and I. It must be given. And I'll go to that in a bit. Because salvation cannot be received by faith on anyone or anything else. The hymn by Augustus Talplay rightly says this. I love this hymn. Nothing in my hand, no price I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. Faith brings nothing in its hand. Only with the empty hand of faith can we receive the gift of righteousness. We must believe in Jesus to be right with God. Otherwise you are doomed eternally. There's no other way to find acceptance with God except through faith in Christ. This indeed is the good news, isn't it? All scripture and human history proves that this, mankind cannot live as God desires. How many guys heard it with me? How many here can live life perfectly as God desires? We know this in the depths of our spirit, right? Despite your best effort, you cannot love your family, you cannot love your friends as you want. We say and do things we wish we hadn't. And we don't do what we wish we had, isn't it? You see, if our salvation and our rights depended on us, oh man, now we'll be in trouble, wouldn't we? How in trouble will you be if your own righteousness depended on you? 
I don't even want to think about that. But Jesus bridged the gap between us and God and did what no one could ever do. He offered his life in, in the place of ours so that we could receive his life in place of death. So that we could become righteous through faith in Jesus. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share you two passages. 2 Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us that you might become the righteousness of God in him. Let God's people say Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians 8.9 for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, you might become rich. You know, I could really stop here and, and be done. Because uh, there's only really one response to our faith, isn't it? But thanks be to God. Isn't that our only response? But thanks be to God. I wonder sometimes, what if God never gave me this faith to believe in him? Have you guys wondered about that? Have you ever wondered what if God would hold it this truth of the gospel and would hold it this gift of giving you the faith to believe in his son from you? What would that be like? And the fact that he didn't withhold that truth of the gospel, and the fact that he didn't withhold that free gift from me, it should cause us all to bow down into him and praise him. Because whether you like it or not, one day you will bow your knees before God. And the only thing that you and I could respond is thanks be to God. I can't wait for that day that every knee would bow, that every tongue would confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Can't you wait for that day? I can't. Because this world is chaotic. Don't want any part of it. I just want to be with him already. How many of you guys here with me? How many of you guys here with me? How many of you guys here just tired of this world? Tired. Nothing good. Let's just go home. But not yet. We got work to do. People need saving faith. Let's talk about this. The evidence of faith. Look at verse 5 with me. Chapter 1, verse 5. The whom we have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. Paul describes here the evidence of faith is obedience. This means that obedience that comes from faith. You see, genuine faith will always produce obedience to the Lord. Always. Always. Simply put, obedience flows from true saving faith. And disobedience is the result of literally unbelief. James 2.26 tells us, Faith without works is what? Dead. So an inactive faith is not real faith. Faith without works is merely empty profession. But real faith is an obedient faith. The one who truly believes in Jesus comes under his lordship, walks in obedience to his word. 
We don't get to question the word of God. We get to obey the word of God. And you know what we do sometimes as, as people of faith or someone who professes to be people of faith? We look at the Bible and say, God, that's a great idea. Oh, God, that's a great suggestion. He is not making a suggestion. He is not asking you whether it feels good. He's not even asking whether it, it tastes good or it sounds good. You know what he's telling you? I said it. You obey it. That's all he's saying to you. Nothing more. So when he tells you that you need to go out there and make disciples, he actually really means it. He guys don't go, oh man, you know, we, we, we pay our pastor. We should, he should go evangelize. <laughs> I do that anyways. <laughs> but... Do you know that evangelism is your responsibility and mine? Do you know why it's your responsibility and mine? Because you have the keys to the kingdom. You can actually give faith to someone. But yet we say, no, uh, no they're going to label me. They're going to shut me down. I, I, what about my reputation? You know what I tell you about your reputation? Who cares? You know whose reputation is really important? Jesus. Right? Most beautiful name. One day, I'm going to make John sing that song. Beautiful name. But until John gets saved, I won't sing it. So. See, uh, I think there's this, this unbelief that as soon as one comes to a narrow gaze, sometimes they think that they're not under new leadership. But really, there's an ongoing lifestyle of obedience to Christ that does not begin five years after conversion or something that starts 10 years later. To the contrary, obedience starts at conversion. That's where it starts. At the moment you're converted, there's a transfer allegiance from old master sin to a new master, Jesus Christ. And Paul explains as well. Uh, I don't have it on the slide, so you just have to open your Bible with me. Uh, Romans 6.16. Uh, if you open there, Romans 6.16. It says here, Do you know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. Here, the apostle quotes a general axiom in life, namely that slaves live in obedience to their ruling master. So at conversion, there's an exchange of masters, a relinquishing of our old bondage of sin for a new loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. So throughout one's Christian life, According to 1 John 5, 3, tells us, For this is the love of God, that we keep His commandments. And His commandments are not burdensome. And John here is claiming that genuine believers will continue to keep His commandments and keep His in a present tense, indicating this is an ongoing obedience throughout the entirety of the believer's life, from faith to faith. 
And here's the perseverance of the saints. All who are born again will pursue obedience to the end. Commandments, it's plural, indicating obedience to the full spectrum of the divine requirements. Following Christ does not allow for us to be selective. Rather, we must obey all the commandments of God, not merely the convenient, convenient ones that we like. The moment anyone takes a step of saving faith and enters through this narrow gate into the kingdom of God, he or she is immediately in submission to the authority of his word. And please understand that the gospel is more than a free offer. The gospel is an imperative command in which you are divinely ordered to repent and believe only in Jesus. And either you are obedient to the gospel or disobedient and refuse to obey his command to repent and believe will lead to death. There is no time lapse between the time of conversion and when one begins to obey Christ. The exercise of saving faith is the first step of life of obedience. And when Jesus preached, repent and believe in the gospel, this was the issue as an urgent imperative. The gospel is more than an offer to be considered. It issued as an urgent imperative to obey Christ. John 3.36. If that, this verse doesn't scare you, it should. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. In this verse, believing in Christ and obeying Him are used synonymously. Simply put, true faith is obedient faith. And our obedience of faith is not grounds upon which God declares as righteous, but it reveals our faith to be genuine. Galatians 3.11 Paul writing to the believers struggling to grasp the purity of the gospel because some Jewish Christians were teaching that Gentile believers need to follow the religious rituals known as the law in order to attain salvation. In other words, they were adding works to what God has freely given to those who believe in his death and resurrection. Then he explains the origin of his message that he had received the gospel from Jesus himself that clearly teaches that no one relies on the law is justified or made right before God, but it's by faith alone. Hebrews 10.1 tells us that the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. And for this reason, it can never be the same sacrifice repeated endlessly, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. See, the Old Testament law is insufficient for salvation with all of its sacrifices. It was simply a reminder of my need my sin that pointed to Jesus Christ, the all-sufficient sacrificial death that he needs to do for me. In other words, the writer wanted his readers to know that the law was no longer necessary after the death of Christ and his resurrection. Then in 38, 1038, the writer repeats God's message, but my righteous one will live by faith. Let me tell you what this church is about. You may be new here, uh, you may be here for a while, but let me tell you what this church is about. If you don't know yet, this, this church is by grace alone. Through faith alone. In Christ alone. According to the scriptures alone. And for the glory of God alone. That's what this church is about. It's nothing more than that. You agree? I mean, I would love you guys to all agree. But it is. 
I stand here before you and and we all stand here because uh, we know we can't be saved by, without grace. And it must come through faith. It must be through Christ. It must be according to his word. And it must be for his glory. So when he wrote to the Romans, he was speaking of the just or the righteous. So he wasn't referencing to someone's behavior or personal integrity. Rather, he was referring to our being made right with God. And this is known as the doctrine of justification. The doctrine of justification is what launched the Protestant Reformation. It's what launched it. Because it refers to God declaring Christ followers not guilty because because of the price that Jesus paid on our behalf. This was the driving message of the book of Romans. He wanted to make sure that you understand that this doctrine separates not only Protestants from Catholics, but separates also work salvation from grace salvation, and, and from what you do for salvation, from who you trust for salvation. That's what justification by faith alone, in a nutshell. And it took me four years in seminary to, to learn that, and you got it in one minute. <laughs> so, so, you, so you see, whenever someone hears the gospel, it immediately makes a demand to repent and believe on Christ. In that moment, one must make the choice to be obedient to the command of the gospel or not. Because faith obeys God and believes in Jesus. This is the initial step of obedience to the gospel, and it continues throughout one's Christian life. And like I said earlier, it does not involve merely the initial step. It leads to many, many, many steps of obedience. It does not mean that truly never disobeys God, but when he disobeys, one confesses it and repents of it, and then continues again to the journey of faith. That's from faith to faith. Number four, the source of faith. Verse 6, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. The source of faith is Christ. Faith does not originate with with the one who believes. Paul here identifies those who believe as the call of Jesus Christ. This refers to God's effectual call of Christ that orders the one called. In reality, this is a divine subpoena that arrests the one called and brings them to faith. So when Jesus calls, he also grants the gift of repentance. Then the sinner is enabled to repent and believe. So to exercise faith in the gospel is all of grace, which is a direct result of God working in the one who he called. You know, people get confused about this, that, that they, in their mind they think, oh, you know, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, but whomever believes in him shall never perish. So yes, there's a part of us believing but in reality, man, I would love to know what that percentage is, wouldn't you? Right? I know there is a portion, but I don't think it's much. And let me explain it this way. When I was 20 years old, I had no idea what the gospel is. No idea. All I know is that there was this cute girl at school, and she said, come, and she invited me, and there's free food. Right? So, so she was cute, and she said the magic word, free food. And I was in. But it was a setup. It was a divine setup. When I came there, she introduced me. This is my boyfriend, Todd. Oh, dude. But part two is still, there's still free food. So I was still in. And then I was going, dude. And they said that, oh, we'll eat at the end. Oh, dude. <laughs> That's, so I need to sit through this. 
And then there and there, there was a God who was so merciful to me and so gracious to me and so kind to me. And he introduced me to the person of Jesus Christ who said, he's willing to save me from my sins. And I repented. I couldn't even eat after that. I remember I was so hungry going back home. But you know what I was given that night? It's this gift of eternal life. Because at that night, you know what Jesus did for me? He gave me the power to look at my sin. And he gave me the, he gave me the vision to say, I could forgive your sins through faith in Jesus Christ. He's the one who enabled me to believe. He's the one who enabled me to repent and believe in his son. It was none of me. Because all I wanted to do was being close to her and have free food. But that wasn't God's divine plan. God's divine plan for me for that night to be saved. It was God's plan for me that night for me to come to faith. It was all him from start to finish. And my journey here in the Christian life is going to be from start to finish. It was God's faithfulness in my life. To God be the glory. I think I told that story to my wife, did I? No, I did. <laughs> Romans 11.36 says, From him and through him and to him are all things. So in order for someone to believe, God must resurrect, made alive, Romans 2.4, one who is dead. Because saving faith comes from God alone. Faith does not originate within me, but comes down from God. And there's nothing that is a spiritually dead sinner can do. Dead man cannot come and believe in Christ. Because in reality, dead man can only run away from Christ. And that's why God must first give the gift of faith, Romans 6.23, before anyone can ever believe in the gospel. God is the giver. God is the initiator. God is the divine enablement to believe in his son. And it is a steadfast faith that will never stop believing. For sure, at times, our faith will surely weaken. How many guys have heard me? How many guys here feel like your, your faith sometimes weakens? Right? It does, right? How many guys sometimes your faith slows down? How many guys are in that season right now that your faith is just slowed down? And it's weak. How many guys here? But even though sometimes our faith gets weak and it slows down, let me tell you a promise. It will never cease to believe. It's impossible for faith to go from faith to no faith. Impossible. Impossible from faith to unfaith. Or from faith to apostasy. Impossible. Faith can only be moved forward. It can only advance. A true believer will never become an apostate. Like this God-given faith in Jesus will never turn to unbelief. It's a theological impossibility. C.H. Burton said, Noah fell down many times in the ark, but he never once fell out of the ark. That is true, say, genuine faith. We will all trip and fall down in the Christian life, but we will never totally fall away from Christ because it's not a matter of us holding to Christ. It's a matter of Christ holding on to you by His grace. The Christian life, like what Barbara says, I love being a Christian. I love that what she said that to me. I love being a Christian. Do you? 
I think you guys should say amen to that, don't you guys think? I just said something so profound. I just quoted Barbara. I just quoted her. I just said, I love being a Christian. Oh, dude, how are you guys alive? I am beginning to worry. True faith can only go in one direction because it's a powerful work of God in the soul. Faith is exercised in us, but it's what God does in us. Philippians 2.13, and keep this to heart. It is God who is at work in you. Praise God! To will and to work for His good pleasure. And the reason the Philippians could work out their salvation was because God had already been working in them. He gives us the desire and the ability to obey. And obedience is not a matter of our willpower, but on God's power working in us. That's why the writer to the Hebrews says, 12-2, He is the author and the finisher of our faith. Fix your eyes on Him. Letter E, the priority of faith. He says, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaiming all the world. I'm almost done. The priority of faith is also evident when he praised them for their faith. This was Paul's number one in his list was their faith. It was their faith in Jesus that was being preached throughout the whole empire. While living in the most immoral, pagan, and wicked, foul city, these believers in Rome stood out like sparkly diamonds in a dark coal mine. And it was their faith in Jesus that barred them from compromising. Do you know when you and I compromise our lives in sin? Do you know what that is? Because you put your faith in something else than Jesus Christ. That's what happens when I fall into sin. That's what happens. I what? Don't put my faith on the right person. How many of you guys here been disappointed by a person before? How many of you guys here have been disappointed at least once? How many of you guys here have been never disappointed by anyone? Raise your hand. I want to talk to you. I want to know that friend. <laughs> but one thing is for sure. Because of our faith in Jesus Christ, we have someone that we could totally depend on that will never turn on you. He will never forsake you and he will never leave you. Why? Because the faith that you have in him is, is strong. Solid. Like a jelly bean. <laughs> Sorry, Jeff, I have to say it. <laughs> it was their faith in Jesus that barred them from compromising. If you want, if you don't want to, if you want to live a non-compromising life. Put your faith in Christ. Their faith was contagious. The writer of the Hebrews tells us the importance of faith. Um, that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe in faith. That he is. And that he is the reward of those who seek him. So in the simplest terms, faith seeks after God and lives for his reward. I was talking to someone this week and, and their faith is kind of rocky and shaky. And all I could... Tell the person it's like this. Man, don't put your faith in yourself. Put your faith only in Jesus Christ. He will take over. 
There must be a priority of faith, right? There must be an aspect of your life that cannot be explained apart from your faith. Can I ask you something, then I'll close this section. Can people tell the difference that you're a Christian? Is there something in your life that cannot be explained? Is there something in your life that cannot be explained by anyone, logically? How could from someone who became a, a cursor of the law, became the greatest warrior for Jesus Christ? It happened to a man named Paul. One day he was outside of the kingdom of God. The next, he was proclaiming the Jesus he was persecuting. How could that happen? That's unexplainable. Why? Because the Christian life is a transformed life. And your life, some people cannot sort out what kind of person you are. That leads us to the power of faith. Look at verse 12 with me. This is my last point. That is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Lastly, I want you to see the power of faith when he said that he wants to have fellowship with them so that they can encourage each other in the faith. He tells us that when we come together as a faith family or we come together as a life group, which we, we do every week and we do every other month, it's an opportunity for all of us to encourage each other to trust in God even more. Because faith must be contagious. One person's faith affects others with whom he comes in contact. That's the way it is. And true believers strengthen others' faith. We build up the faith in others by our faith. By when our faith is not strong, it can have a negative effect on other people. You and I need... Let me just be honest with you. I need your faith. As your pastor, I need your faith. And most of you guys are already nodding your head. No, I do. Yes, there's some faith I don't want. But most of the time, I need some of your faith. <laughs> and you need my faith. Because this world is cruel. And if we don't meet together, and we don't encourage each other, and we're trying to gonna live this Christian life alone, you will not be able to. I need your faith. You need my faith. And together, somewhat survive. Right? The book of Proverbs says, iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And the picture is two swords rubbing against each other, sharpening the cutting edge of their blades. And Paul desperately wanted the power of their faith to rub off on him. And that's the same thing here. So now, okay, we all talk about faith. So what? So what? Because the importance of faith is a major theme in the book of Romans. Because first, no one can be saved apart from faith. You cannot be sanctified apart from faith. You cannot be what God desires you to be without faith. You cannot experience the abundant life that Christ has promised to give you apart from faith in him. Faith is the fountain from which your daily life and of active faith flows as we live from faith to faith. And every area of your Christian life is to be lived by faith. This refers to not just our church lives, but to our business, our family, and our recreational lives. Every component part of your life is to be lived by faith. Because the righteous shall live by faith. You're not meant to be self-reliant. 
None of our lives should be live in self-dependence. You should always be anchored to God in every part of your life. You need God, not just go to heaven, but also to go to work. You need God, not only for our relation with Him, but in all of our relationship on earth. Every aspect of our life is to live by faith. And when Paul says, I am under obligation, both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you, also who are in Rome, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And this is what he was under obligation to. He was under obligation to preach the gospel of righteousness by faith alone in Jesus Christ. And that's what he was eager to preach. And that's what he was not ashamed to preach. And you shouldn't be either. We have the greatest message in the whole entire universe. That one could be made right with God by faith in him alone. Any other message better than that? Even Fox News can't beat that. Because we have the greatest news ever. It's called the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Pray with me. Father in heaven, we ask that you transform us today to faith by faith in your son, Jesus Christ. That we're so compelled that we have been made right with you. We're no longer your enemy, that we have peace with you. That we have no more condemnation. And that we're eager to tell it to others that they could also have peace with God. God, help us to be excited about this message. Help us, O Lord, to not ever be ashamed of the message that one could be right with God. Never to be ashamed that one could be righteous and approved by God by faith in His Son. God, there's nothing to be ashamed of. And God, show us, O Lord, that there's power in the gospel. Help us, Lord, to trust in the power of the gospel. Because it's the only gospel that saves and it's the gospel that transforms. And Lord, thank you for giving us the faith to believe. In Jesus' name, amen.